The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 7, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, here to break down the upcoming opposing quarterback of the enemy team is QB1 in my heart. Today we're going to be talking about Deshaun Watson, and I know there's no bigger fan of Deshaun Watson than this guy right here, Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? I am doing well, my friend, and I'm just thankful that I'm here. Let's put it that way, because bit of a rough week. First of all, let's just say at the outset, kids, they can be cute at times, but they are germ-infested carrier monkeys. <laughs> my kids, both of their schools, they had viruses, kids were out, flus, all that stuff. And sure enough, my son was home last Friday. He was sick. He was home Monday. He was sick. I wake up Tuesday morning. I got a fever of 102 degrees. I'm hacking up a lot. I feel like death. And so all I could do Tuesday was literally go from the bed to the kitchen to get water and back up to the bed. Now, when I do that, I have to go down. We live in a split level, so I have to go down like half a flight of stairs going down into our living room, all wood floors. And for those of you who follow me on Twitter at Mark Schofield, you know I have this long running thread about my cat and his attempts to kill me, usually by putting himself on the stairs and making me trip over him. Well, he almost pulled it off on Tuesday. I was walking down <laughs> to get more water. I had a, literally had a pint glass, a glass, an actual glass in my hand, in my left hand, my phone in the other. I'm walking down the stairs. I see what looks to be a dark sweater. It moves. It's my cat. I miss a step. I go head over heels, land literally with my back on the bottom step. The, the glass goes flying across the room. The phone goes down the other flight of stairs. Neither one breaks. I don't know how it happened, but I'm literally writhing in pain on the floor <laughs> for like a good five minutes. I'm expecting myself to like just bleed out because I've punctured her lung. That's how bad it hurt. My cat's just literally staring at me, just laughing his head off. And I'm just like, you are eventually going to kill me. So of course, what do I do? I tell you guys about it in the DMs. And it leads me to this story. That was not even my most embarrassing fall because you see, nobody was there to see that one. My most (laughs) embarrassing fall, however, 
is the story I'm about to tell you and our dear listeners. Now, imagine, if you will, mm. a seventh grader, the quarterback of his Pop Warner football team, okay? And imagine mm. said quarterback has just led his team to a victory in the season finale, clinching a conference title, scoring a couple of touchdowns, clinching a playoff berth in the Eastern Massachusetts Pop Warner playoffs, the hopeful goal of making it to the Pop Warner Super Bowl. Now, I am said quarterback. What a star. I'm a stud. <laughs> and I'm a stud because my girlfriend wearing my jacket from the year prior is there watching the game, sitting in the front row. Mm. As I do at the end of every game, I go up to the press box because my dad would sit up in the press box and film the games and give me the all 22 after I was a seventh grader breaking <laughs> down my game tape. That's how nerdy a football guy I am. And so I get some money to go over to the shack and buy my girlfriend some snacks and stuff. I'm going to go down and see her. So I leave the press box. I'm walking down the stands to her. I'm smiling at her. She's smiling back at me. I miss a step and I go tumbling down the stands in front of everybody. <laughs> and everybody- How'd you, how, do you, how do you recover from that? Everybody <laughs> starts to freak out because they're like, oh my God, what if you get hurt? Because we got to play in the playoffs next week. Now I'm not hurt. I'm fine, but I am mortified. So I start grabbing for my ankle. Okay. I'm like, Oh my God, my ankle, Ooh. something hurts. My mom comes over and she knows full well that I'm just embarrassed. And she's just like, get up, get up right now. You're fine. Get up. And I look up and I see my girlfriend leave. And I'm just like <laughs> completely, completely embarrassed. And I would, I kid you not the night this happened was the night that the Berlin Wall fell because I remember calling her that night being like, look, I totally understand why that you left. I was embarrassed. You were embarrassed. It's fine. Why aren't you saying – she's like, turn on the TV. The Berlin Wall has fallen. So there, bringing the fallen story full circle with not only my fall but the fall of the Berlin Wall. So I even worked in a historical reference, just wow. bring it all full circle. What a pro. Yeah, and Mark – Usually we do the history reference, but in lieu of that, even though you tied it in anyway, uh, you had a great story today. And today we also have a special treat for the listeners. This is something that was put together by the staff at Bleeding Green Nation. Shout out to Lee Sifford for writing the script for it and for Tyler Jackson for adding the music bed. Also, my wonderful voice. But what you're about to hear is a special Christmas themed segment. Gather the kids around the fireplace and give this a listen. Twas two nights before Christmas, when all through the link, not a person was sitting, no Texan could think. The banner was hung from the rafters with care. Fans hoped that the Eagles again could get there. Young Watson had visions inside of his head that Jim Schwartz's defense would render him dead. Fletcher Cox in the middle, Mike Bennett outside, with young guys behind them, playing with pride. When the coin got flipped or arose to clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. A week since L.A. flew by like a flash, a new game was here, the Rams in the past. A kickoff ensues off Elliot's toe, a win here's a must, that we all know. When what to my wondering eyes did appear, but an offense so timid, and a defense so fear. On the first play from scrimmage, our guys get the pick. I knew in a moment, it's time for old Nick. More rapid than eagles, his teammates they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Alshon, now Golden, now Nelson and Goddard. On Adams, on Ertz, on Sproles, on Rogers. To the end zone we'll drive and we'll scratch and we'll claw. Now fly, eagles, fly. Embrace the underdog. As the ball left his hand and spun through the air, secured in the end zone, it didn't seem fair. So up on the scoreboard our lead it grew, from zero to seven as the kick went through. And then in a twinkling the fight song it roared, the place had gone crazy. The eagles, they soared. 
As I looked to the field, the visor I saw, silver hair out the top, his passion was raw. Standing tall and proud, Coach P led his posse. His team always listens, even Johnston, the Aussie. For the rest of the game, Houston had not a chance. The refs who were drinking gave Malcolm a glance. Carson watched from the sideline, his dimples how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. The hair on his head was red as a fire, with a half-broken back. All he'd done was inspire. Inspired a team to fight nail and teeth. With the playoffs in sight, don't give up, he would preach. Jason Peters approached with his big round belly that shook when he laughed like a big bowl of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but his face said it best. To the playoffs we come, Philadelphia, no rest. To the tunnel he ran, away from the bustle. His teammates all followed, many showed signs of hustle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he jogged out of sight, Fly, Eagles, fly, and to all a good night. All right, Mark. Did you enjoy that? that? I thought that was good. You're going to show that to the kids? I'm going to show that to the kids. I'm going to sit the family around. I'm going to sit my parents, my in-laws around. They're going to be like, look, I got a Christmas story. I think it's a, a good tradition to start with the family. We're going to have a little night before Christmas action. And I'm going to play that for them. And I'm going to see how that goes. <laughs> Seriously, though, that was fantastic. That was You sent that to me earlier. I listened to it while I was driving. I almost drove off the road. I was dying. And your son is a big Carson Wentz fan. So that's going to play really well with he him. He went as Carson Wentz for Halloween. That's what I'm talking about. It was sweet because I loved Carson coming out. I'm a big Carson fan. But yet, look, you know, Patriots lost to the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Although the Patriots that's right. Patriots fans are Eagles fans this week. I will say that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, their game has an impact on their, their seeding and everything. It does. That's interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's preview this game. Of course, the main topic of this show is going to be previewing and detailing Deshaun Watson's game, the Houston Texans quarterback. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson as a draft prospect coming out of Clemson. He was a national champion, the bane of Nick Saban's existence because he gave that defense some serious fits. Uh, he also came real close to winning the Heisman twice, but there were still doubts about him coming out. And some of those doubts surrounded the controversial combine radar gun. And these were some of the numbers put out there that shown a negative light on Watson's game. So with the radar gun at the combine, Patrick Mahomes, 60 miles an hour, Davis Webb, 59 miles per hour, Deshaun Kaiser, 56 miles per hour. Let's see, there's Mr. Bisky and Gerard Evans at 55, Nate Peterman and Brad Kaya at 53, and Deshaun Watson at 49 miles per hour. Despite this, Mark, this damning evidence, I remember you still remaining strong in your love for Watson as a prospect. Can you tell me why you were able to shrug off those concerns? Well, I think first and foremost, it's important to remember that the process of recording these miles per hour at the combine, it isn't exactly a scientific analysis. You've got one guy with a radar gun just grabbing some throws here and there, and people seem to have bought into the fact that, look, you know, you haven't had a good quarterback below 55 miles per hour. A lot of people, they sort of put that threshold on it. But when you look at the NFL generally in terms of what scheme teams are using and how throws are made, the bulk of throws come from most offenses 20 yards, even 10 yards and less. And so the idea that, you know, the lack of velocity, which I didn't truly see on film, I saw that when he needed to, he was able to dial up right. enough velocity to hit some throws in the intermediate and middle areas of the field. 
you know, when you look at the schemes the teams are using, you know, maybe in more vertical offenses, you know, when you're trying to push the ball in the deep out and things like that, you'd like to have a little bit of velocity. But it's not a death knell. It just might sort of come into play when you're looking at the type of scheme fit for a quarterback. And let's not remember, just because you can throw the ball 60 miles an hour doesn't mean anything. Brian Bennett, you know, at the 2015 Combine, better than Mariota, better than Winston, 60 miles per hour, the fastest throw at the 2015 Combine. And last I checked, he's in the CFL. And so just because somebody can rip it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be a good quarterback. And What was really interesting about sort of looking at Watson and whether he'd be able to sort of make that transition to the National Football League and people were saying, oh, you know, he doesn't have the velocity. You know, when I looked at his rookie season, I did a study last year over inside the pylon where I looked into quarterback attempted the most throws, you know, as a percentage of their throws more than 20 yards downfield. And you know who had the most as a percentage of their throws? It was Deshaun Watson. Watson. (laughs) Why? Because people – it didn't surprise me because people ignored what he could do. It gets us to the age-old question. When you're evaluating quarterbacks and when you're evaluating players, people tend to focus on what they can't do instead of what they can do. And where Deshaun Watson won as a quarterback was when he used touch, timing, and anticipation on those deeper throws. And that has translated so well to him as a rookie and even more into this season. When you look at some of the standout throws that he's made, there was one he made a couple of weeks ago against the Browns. It was a third down early in the game, deep, deep out route to Hopkins along the right sideline. He was flushed to his left, really long throw, got it over one defender in front of the the corner cornerback and in front of the safety as well. So he had to throw it into a small window. One of these throws that people might've thought, oh, he doesn't have the arm to make. How does he do it? With touch, timing, and anticipation. Trajectory on his throws is precise. And so that's what stands out to me. And that's why I never really bought into this all 49 miles per hour mumble jumble because he could still make effective throws. He just does it his way. So when you look at Watson's rookie season, I mean, the dude started in six games. He played seven, over 60% completion, 19 touchdowns with an incredible 9.3% touchdown rate, eight interceptions, 8.3 yards per attempt, which is very nice, and a 103 quarterback rating. He was dangerous and participated in one of the best games of the year against the Seattle Seahawks in that shootout. Unfortunately, his season came to an end during a practice where he suffered a non-contact knee injury that was later revealed to be an ACL tear. But when you look at that rookie season for Watson, you could certainly see that there was a ton of promise for the future now. But looking at that, and you're going from recovering from an ACL during the offseason, coming into the new season, do you think that has affected his game anyway? That whole process of missing important reps in training camp and, and focusing more on the recovery than maybe some of the physical aspects of quarterback play like footwork and things of that nature? I think there was an impact on it early in the season because you watched their game against New England back in week one. It was clear that he wasn't comfortable. I mean, their first offensive play of the season, they had a a mistake at the mesh point and they had a fumble and a turnover. And in that game, the Patriots did so much because they were so concerned about what Watson had done to him last year. The Patriots, they struggle against mobile quarterbacks. They did so much to keep him in the pocket. He just did not look comfortable. The lower body did not seem sound beneath him. It seemed like he didn't sort of trust and that sort of plant foot and stepping into throws. And for quarterbacks coming back from ACL tears and injuries like that, when you don't have that confidence in your lower body, it takes some time to develop that and you will see an impact in their game. 
Eagles fans know this full well with Carson Wentz and sort of his recovery. And, you know, your, your buddy, your your co-host, Benjamin Solak, you know, he talked into training camp about how it didn't seem like Carson was comfortable with his footwork, you know, in, the, in that mm. knee. So there was an impact early more from the, I'm not too confident in my lower body and my physical well-being right now. I think that's gone away. Mm. I think if you've watched him over the last couple of weeks, you've sort of seen Deshaun Watson be more comfortable in the pocket, able to step into throws. And what's interesting about Watson and some of the better quarterbacks have this as well. You look at, for example, his game week eight against Miami. He's getting flushed. He's getting moved around. It seems like Watson is one of those quarterbacks that always has a plan B in mind when he knows he has to move. Some of the other quarterbacks, like a Josh Allen, for example, they don't have a plan B. They're just running around trying to make stuff up. Watson always has that sort of plan B. He knows what he's going to do when he has to move. He knows where his outlets are going to be, where his receivers are going to be in those scrambled situations. That helps him stay effective. And the other thing with him is – when he gets on the move and where he has to set, reset, and throw, he's pretty good in those situations. And that speaks to now his confidence level in that lower body. Because for quarterbacks coming back from those injuries, with those set, reset, and throw moments, sometimes, again, you see that lack of confidence result in a missed throw or a poor placement pass. I haven't seen that recently from Watson. I agree. And I've been going through and charting some of Watson's game. I started with week 12 against the Colts, and I noticed that outside of the pocket and he moved to the right a lot when he when he wanted to throw when he wanted to scramble it was up the middle it was to the left and he made those immediate decisions and was able to get positive gains out of that but on the move throwing moving out of the pocket looking downfield he was four for four in that game and he had one you know a downfield shot that was really accurate so yeah definitely on the move he's definitely a threat and the other thing that is a threat with this team I mean, the Texans, this team runs 12 personnel more than any other team, 37% of the time, which is just slightly higher than the Eagles because offensive coordinator Mike Rowe has only recently started listening to the Kiston Solak show, but that's an entirely different story. But they're right in line with league average with how much they pass and run from those two tight end sets. So keeping it with the passing game here, as we always do with this quarterback-centric show, I know they like to run Yankees, so you have the two-route combination of post and deep over with max protection that everybody loves to run in the NFL. But what makes that 12 personnel so effective for them when they throw it, and how does that fit Watson's game with all of that? Well, the, another thing, they, they like to do some other stuff out of 12 as well as in addition to Yankee. And we'll get, I want to get into Yankee in a minute, but what they yep. do so well with 12 is a couple of different things. They will run mesh out of 12. They'll run mesh sit out of 12 where you've got the receivers mm. crossing underneath and they'll have one of the tight ends sort of check it down over the middle, that mesh sit route over the middle of that. And so that gives Watson a pretty defined area of field to read. It's just over the middle from tackle to tackle. That's what he's reading. And so it gives them sort of a simplified read structure. Another thing that they'd love to do out of 12 is they'll go flood to one side of the field or the other, where they've got the receiver released deep, out route from one tight end, and then usually Hopkins coming across the middle to fill that other intermediate area of the field. So you've got out route from the receiver on the, I mean, go route, excuse me, from the receiver on the boundary, tight end chipped, released to the flat, and then Hopkins coming over to fill that intermediate area. And I believe that that throw I was talking about from Hopkins in that Browns game was on one of those such designs. And so as a defense, you've got to defend against just one area of the field, sure, but it also gives the quarterback a single area of the field to read. And that's one of the things that Bill O'Brien has done to help Watson because an area where he has struggled you know, last year and at times this year is there are times when his eyes fail him. 
There are times when he will stare down receivers, usually Hopkins. And so what O'Brien has done is sort of played to that and said, look, you know, if you're going to have this tendency to sometimes lock on to one area of the field or one receiver, then I'll give you a bunch of options in that field of vision so we can still stress the defense and sort of not have your eyes lead defenders to the football because it's one thing if there's one receiver on the left side and that's what he's looking at. It's another thing if there are three. So as you look at this 12 personnel, they like to run a lot of play action out of it, but just in general, the Texans run play action about 22% of the time, and that number has increased to 27% over the last three weeks. For the season, Watson's quarterback rating off those concepts is 113.4, which ranks fifth in the NFL, just above Carson Wentz. In the last three weeks, that number jumps to 145.9. What makes Watson so effective with that play action? Because obviously you can get him on the move, but it's not always that, right? Yeah, it's not always that. And they will love to go play action boot concepts with him because then it gets him on the edge. And again, it gives him basically a half field to find Reed. But yeah. the other thing that they do so well, eye candy. You know, you mentioned the Yankee concept, and it's one of their favorite things. You've got that deep post, the crosser underneath it. It's just a two-receiver max protection read. But they will do so much with eye candy. You mentioned that Seattle game last year. They hit it for two big plays in that game. And what they would do, they would have orbit motion. You'd fake mm. underneath. You'd fake the swing route. All this eye candy is nothing. It's just to distract the defense. All Watson has to do is read that post to the deep over route. They did it again this year. They've done it in a couple of different ways. You look at them, sometimes they'll do it under center, you know, with some eye candy. Sometimes they'll then do it from shotgun where, again, you've got the eye candy in terms of routes going one way or the other, guys moving one way or the other. And it's all just to confuse the defense and it keeps the reads, again, simplified for Deshaun Watson. And so Bill O'Brien does deserve a lot of credit for how he's sort of handled the transition of Watson. You know, he's given him these defined areas of the field to read. He's given him, look, we're going to run this post and over Yankee concept 18 different ways, but it doesn't change what you have to <laughs> yeah. do. All you have to do is read post to over. All you have to do is look at the free safety. Who does he cover? Throw it the other way. Yeah. You don't have to make the game hard, and you're still <laughs> confusing the defense. Yeah, and I like that. And when we talk about orbit motion, you know, you'll see a, a team come out, just, just for the listeners here, you'll see a team come out and they'll maybe have like a double tight on one side of the formation or, or a bunch on one side of the formation. They'll take one of those guys – They'll motion him behind the running back. They may even fake it to him. The Eagles have done this too. And then that player will continue on a swing route, which is going to be your check down in that route combination. So you try to get the defense to react, get him moving one way, and then you get the over route coming the other way. So it's very effective. But look, here's the thing. We can, we can stop the Yankee. We can stop Deshaun Watson from running, or we can pretend like, you know, the Eagles can. But Watson to DeAndre Hopkins. How do you stop that? I mean, Nuke has only caught under five balls in a single game this year, and I think he was hurt by his complimentary burner sidekick, Will Fuller, going down for the season. But those two, Watson and Hopkins, they have a special connection. How do you stop it? And better yet, we know we can't really stop it per se. Do you have any suggestions on how to slow it down maybe? Well, I mean, I think the thing that you have to do is, again, bear in mind the concepts that they're going to run. For example, you look at week eight, Miami against Houston, first play of the fourth quarter, 49-yard touchdown from Watson to DeAndre Hopkins. What do they do? It's Yankee concept, again. And you've got the inside handoff. You've got the fake on the you know end around. And they just the defense just loses track of DeAndre Hopkins. They start him basically in a stack slot. He runs across the formation. It's a zone coverage, cover three type look, and they just lose him. You can't lose track of where DeAndre Hopkins is on the field. You have to use 
cones on him. You have to do what the Patriots have done at times with players like Hopkins and others where you don't just say, look, we're going to cover him with one guy. No, you bracket him. You get a dedicated safety help over the top. You let somebody else beat you. What's the Belichick mantra? We're going to do see what you do best mm. and take it away. What they do best is find DeAndre Hopkins in the passing game. You take it away. Look, if you're going to have some other guys go out and beat you, fine. If you want to find a way to get you know some of the other receivers that aren't named DeAndre Hopkins to beat us in the passing game, fine. If if you know Deshaun Watson goes out and throws three touchdowns to Demarius Thomas, but you hold DeAndre Hopkins to one catch for eight yards, then look, you've done your job, and they were forced to make adjustments, and they did it. You have to take away DeAndre Hopkins, or at least slow him down with some brackets, some cones, or whatever it takes. Because if you let him run free, if you lose track of him like the Dolphins did on that play, you're just asking for trouble. I agree. You have to take him away. That has to be priority number one. So as we look at this game, it's time for predictions, Mark. So there's two predictions I'm going to throw out there for you that I want you to make here. Now, the, the line, as I last saw, it was around 46, and the and the Eagles were a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Let's just call the game what Vegas is saying it's going to be, 24-22 to 22 for the Eagles. Do you see the Eagles being able to limit the Houston Texans to under 22 points? I think they can. Um, and maybe that sounds a little bit like wishful thinking. You might say that because, look, we, we've seen the Eagles at times this season struggle. But when you look at the way that the defense played, particularly last yeah. week, you know, and the way they were able to sort of – now maybe the Rams have their own issues or maybe teams have just sort of figured out what to do defensively. That gives me some hope that, you know, Jim Schwartz and company can piece together a game plan to do the things that we've talked about to limit DeAndre Hopkins now. Maybe that's a bit of wishful thinking because, again, look, if the Eagles pull this out and the Patriots win, you know, I'm going to be a happy man come Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe it's a bit of wish casting, but I do think that the, that the Eagles can pull something out to sort of limit what the Texans do offensively. Do the Eagles win the game? I think they do. And again, wish casting, sure. But ask Ooh. any Patriots fan right now is there a player you do not want to bet against? Nick Foles is probably near the top of that list. And maybe we're yeah. just as crazy as all the Eagles fans right now that are calling for Wentz to be traded. But we're not going to bet against him, particularly when death, I mean, the playoffs are on the line. Foles magic, baby. It's a real thing. It's a real, it's a real it's, thing. It's going to be fantastic when he's quarterback in the Patriots next year. <laughs> that would be wild. Wentz versus Foles, Super Bowl next year. We're calling it. That would be amazing. We're calling what it what right now. That would be fantastic. That would be. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, let all the listeners know, we haven't done this in a while, let all the listeners know where they can find you and all of, all of your work. I know you work for like a thousand places right now. I know, and I'm probably getting fired from a bunch of those because I haven't done work in the past couple of days. Thanks to my cat <laughs> nearly killing me. But the places you can find me, of course, InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, The Score, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scout and Portfolio, Big Blue View, part of the SB Nation family of websites, such as Bloody Green Nation, also a member yep. of that big and wonderful family. Easiest place to find me, though, at Mark Schofield on Twitter. You will see lots of cat pictures as he tries to murder me, as well as here and there, some decent football talk. And of course, Red Dead 2 discussions, as well as Fallout 76, which I'm getting back into. I got to say that the recent patches have made that game a little bit more enjoyable. Perfect. That's what I needed to hear to get on that thing. So I've got to, I just got to, I got to install that puppy and I got to get on there. So I'll see you in St. Denis. 
uh, very, there very we soon. We have to, <laughs> we got to get online and do that. Next up on Bleeding Green Nation is going to be the BGN Radio Preview Show with Brandon Lee Gowton and John Stolness. After that, it'll be another Kist and Solak Preview Show. This time, we're flipping sides of the ball. We're going to be doing the Eagles defense against the Houston Texans offense. So we're going to dig even more into Deshaun Watson's game and what that offense can bring to challenge the Eagles defense. But thank you for listening to the QB Sco Show. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team of Flyers.